Hi guys and welcome back. It's me again, Alan Barrett, with the Grenade podcast, Pull the Pin. And this week we are pulling the pin on entrepreneurship. I can say it, I can't spell it. Or entrepreneurialism, probably even harder to spell. Uh, But we've got a clever combination of business, brand and banter, wall-to-wall wisdom, as we like to put it, with generally utter shite mixed in. Now this week we have a special treat because we've got social media guru, founder and CEO of Social Chain. He's got a tremendous hat collection. He's not wearing one today, but he has got a great hat collection. He's got an enormous following on LinkedIn, and rightly so. He talks nearly as much sense as I do. It's only Steve Bartlett. I was just wondering then if I'm the utter shite. <laughs> like, I no, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's, a, that's a bad start. I'm not calling Steve no, an utter shite. Uh, no, I'm not. No, uh, no. We've had, we've had some great guys on, and, and, and definitely yourself included. So thanks so much for coming, Steve. Because thank this, you for having this me. This has been really hard to set up. Probably the hardest one to set up because we know you're busy. Um, but okay, so pulling the pin, entrepreneurialism. So uh, gets talked about a lot. And mm. Steve, you're one of the UK's best known and best loved entrepreneurs, obviously after me. Um, big compliment. But yeah, it is a bit, a bit of a compliment. But just tell us more about yourself, social chain, you know, what is social chain and, and just tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so, um, oh God, a bit about myself. Born in Africa, um, came here when I was maybe three or four years old to Devon in the southwest of the UK. Um, grew up in a very, very poor family. My mum is like Whoopi Goldberg. She she can't read or write. She can't spell. She can't um, use a phone. She's, you know, I, when I was seven years old, I was trying to teach her how to read. She still can't read or write. Um, my dad's pretty smart. He, he's he's a, a 65-year-old white man. So he's almost the antithesis of my mum. Okay. They're completely different. Well-educated, bit of a genius. Um, they met, how did they meet? Sorry, they sorry. met in Africa. They, okay. He was w- over there working as like a structural engineer. He met her. She was 17. He was 27. You know, a uh, bit of a, you know, uh, sometimes I'm like, Dad, you went for a 17-year-old. <laughs> anyway. Um, cash, we call that cashback. Well, yeah. Steve, that is, uh, as Alan Parch would just say, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Just about, just about legal. Um, <laughs> so they met when they were in Africa. They came here. Um, my mum is a crazy, crazy entrepreneur, but not a successful one. Okay. So for the, for all of my childhood, she was starting businesses and and always failing, and that meant that although my dad's job was okay, we were incredibly poor. Like we didn't have Christmases or birthdays or anything nice. Our house was in a, and this is the really this is the thing that I think really kind of messed messed with me as a kid was our house was in a middle class area. It was in like a nice area, but the windows on the front of the house were smashed. And they were smashed for 15 years and the grass was about five foot high. We're in a perfect street with all these wonderful white people. And I'm this kid with this Afro who feels inadequate because there's probably about seven fridges in our back garden and half of our house is knocked down because my mum had this idea of building a pool and da 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 da, but she had no money. So she just knocked the house down and then- I like your mum. Yeah, crazy. We should get your mum on the podcast. fucking crazy. Oh God. Um, so it was this real sense of inadequacy growing up where we're in this like really nice area, but we're completely broke and living in a completely smashed up house, which inside, well, outside was terrible. Inside was even worse. The doors were always, they always had holes in them. It was like living, being a hoarder. And so there was, I was, I was battling as a kid between going to school and telling a bunch of lies about what our life was really like. Cause I was still trying to fit in. I was still the kid with the Afro in a school of 15,000, 1500 white kids. Um, so I was already contending with that. Why am I black? Why, why have I got different hair to everyone else? Uh, and then also contending with the fact that like, we didn't have Christmases. 
you know, the car that, you know, just this real sense of like inadequacy, I mm -hmm. think, growing up. Um, and I think that's fundamentally the thing that made me pretty obsessed with the idea that um, money and stuff would really, really, really matter. Because to me, it was the problem. It was the reason why my mum and dad hated each other as well. It was the reason why they always screamed at each other. Money was the thing that I just needed to get and it would solve all of my problems. And, th and then you couple that with the fact that my parents were never there, never in the house. I'd wake up, they weren't there. I'd go to sleep, they weren't there because my mom was out running her businesses and sleeping on the floor. So you, that creates this effect in this young kid that if I'm going to have anything, money, um, it's going to be me that gets it. Like I have to do it myself. So if I wanted to eat lunch at school, I'd have to find a way to get the money. And that created this environment, which I think made me an entrepreneur. You know what's bizarre about that is the, bear in mind, you've had a very, very different upbringing from me in different mm. countries and whatever. But I can absolutely relate to that because, uh, yeah, my mom didn't work. She had osteoporosis. So she really, she, she sort of tried to work, but she was, she was struggled through ill health. Mm. Um, and then my dad worked really hard as a heavy goods vehicle mechanic, worked long hours for just a heavy, dirty job mm. for no money. And they always argued about money. Mm -hmm. And I thought exactly the same. I thought, yeah, if you can get money, having money means that, you know, you can be happy and whatever. Yeah. And I, I used to walk to school in the winter just with like a, I didn't have a coat. So just, a, but I used to walk to school. I, I, I qualified for free school dinners and I was the only kid in the school that qualified for free school dinners. Right. So I didn't want to be the only person mm -hmm. sat there on my own with that green ticket. So I came home every lunchtime. It was like a mile and a quarter sure. to walk home. So I'd walk to school in the morning, walk home at lunch, be 10 minutes in the house, walk back to school and walk back yeah. again. Just so I didn't say, I, and, I, and, I, and I hated school. So I can mm. absolutely relate to that. Mm. But I tell you what though as well, what a powerful driver that is yeah. as a kid. Cause that, that absolutely sows the seed for, because again your parents are working hard they're not mm. sitting you know they're not sitting around mm. so you see them probably the hard work but you're not really seeing the reward 100 percent. and my mum was like they when people say to me like what did your parents teach you they she taught me a bunch of lessons and the majority of them were actually like things not to do so yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the things that she was really bad at was she she had no focus so anyone would walk in off the street she'd be running her little corner shop and they would say the hairdressers down the street is making loads of money. She'd look at her business and think it's not, I'm not a millionaire yet. So she'd turn her place into a hairdressers. And then someone would walk in six months later. And so she's probably started 24 different businesses in the last 24 years, genuinely. Okay. And she's now 24 years into business. And I promise you the business that she runs now is basically selling Mars bars off a shelf. That's 24 years into business because of lack of focus. Yeah. So when, whenever there's temptation within my life now to change direction, because it seems like the grass is greener over there, I just cannot because she taught me that lesson accidentally. Yeah. And the other thing she, she taught me, which was a good lesson is hard work because my mum would sleep on the floor of her own shop. That's why she wasn't there. So I would go into the back room and I'd see these bags of rice with these little um, mouse and like rat holes in them where the mice and rats had clearly been eating. And I'm scared of mice and rats. And my mum was, was sleeping on a blanket next to these bitten bags of rice. So I'm thinking my mum is sleeping on a floor next to rats and mice and she's doing it every day and she's making no money and she's getting nowhere and it just i couldn't understand it but hard work became the default because she would expect that from me yeah my first job was in fact she decided she was going to open a restaurant one of her business ideas and she gave me a knife and she said this whole room has this paint on it and we don't like the color of the paint so use this knife and scrape all the paint off so I'm seven years, I'm going around the fucking scraping fucking, fucking walls. Do you know how long it takes to use a knife to, I, I, to scrape I'm not long paint off? I can imagine a knife doesn't make room. it any easier. Yeah, I'm there to scrape all summer, just like, and then at the end of it, you get a quid. 
And that's like what I got. I would get a pound and I'd be like, oh my God. That was know. a lot of money in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> um, 92, yeah, 1992, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, but it's weird, you know, as well, because of all the, the, the traits that you need as an entrepreneur, and you'll get asked this question all the time because I do, people will say, what's the most important one? You think, well, actually, there's about 20 and you need all of them, but hard work's always up there. No one, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, has anyone ever built a big business without working hard? No. Has it ever happened? No, can't I can't have think of anybody. I'm, I'm, no, I'm still searching no. for someone yeah. that made a lot there's of no money way. without there's doing no anything. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really, really if possible. If they have a big business, and they didn't work hard, then they didn't build it. Yeah, some, someone somewhere has, 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 yeah, it, has, yeah. Yeah, has, has, has done it. Um, or as they say, yeah, what the, yeah, the first one starts it, the second generation grows it, the third one blows it. Yeah. Um, so basically. Um, but so did did you then ever... So your mum's obviously this this, this entrepreneur, you're, you're learning through mm. um, her mistakes, which again is the best way to learn mm-hmm. as well. Did you actually want to be an entrepreneur? Yes. Yeah, because I remember I did. It was one of my top three things at school, and I didn't. I don't know if I really knew what it was. It was I, Royal Marine, policeman, mm. entrepreneur. Well, in fact, I think it was millionaire. But I, th- I thought I, th- I thought they were the same thing. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. So, so hindsight's a wonderful thing because I, when I was, my favorite game to play with my brothers was this game where we all turned our bunk beds into businesses. And again, I had no idea what an entrepreneur was. So my, I would always cut all. So what I'd do is get these pieces of paper, like a big stack of white. A4 paper, I write one on the first page six times, two on this page, three, and then I would cut it up and this would be the money. So I'd go and give it to my brothers and then I'd put a sign up on my bed saying all the services that I offer if you come and spend this money here. Okay. And I was the youngest of the three brothers. And so what services were they? What were you offering? Massage, I'd, I'd use the moisturizer in the bathroom, I'd give you, I'd do a foot rub and all these kinds of things. It was like a bit of a salon more okay, than I'll, anything. I'll, we'll all get one later. Yeah. <laughs> Are they still a pound? But, but no, they're not. They're slightly more expensive <laughs> these days. But what I didn't realize until I got older was my brothers weren't playing the game. They were just using me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you were just giving away free massages, I got all the money, basically. And then the game ended every time. So they'd come to my, my business, they'd spend all this fake money I just cut up and then the game would end because I'd have all the money. And they were just continually doing that. And I would hate, it would, the worst thing for me was when that game ended because I enjoyed it so much. Um, and then by 15, I'm selling fags on the playground that my mum got from Africa and put in the, the back room. And she she had like a massive room of just these like fake cigarettes. I just would sell them all day. Did you get in trouble them. for that ever? Never. Oh, never. really? I used from to my sell mom, at school. I got in trouble for that. When she, my mum finally realised one day that the like 20 bin bags had become 15 and then the 15 became five. Bin, yeah, and then there was no bin bags left. <laughs> but, do, do you know what's amazing about this as well? It, and it, you only ever get this with a with a, a true, because I think lots of people now would say that they're an entrepreneur, but they don't have the hustle. Mm. You've just got hustle, which is, mm. and it's a really, yeah, doing that at kind of 15 or mm. whatever, and you're out there just kind of hustling and, and learning. Mm. And again, it kind of sounds... Um, it sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it? When, you know, people say, oh, I, was, I was doing this when I was young, but it, it's just one of those things to be an entrepreneur. It's just in you as a, as, as a kid. And again, you're getting it from, you know, from parents and whatever. hundred percent. And I just felt, and if you think about that situation, I just felt like I had no choice but to do those things because no one's going to give me money. I have this tremendous pressure that I've probably imposed upon myself to have money because every time I go to school, I feel inadequate because everyone else has got these Rockport shoes yeah. and these Stone Island coats and these ni- nice pencil cases. And I haven't, that's a big pressure. Were you quite academic at school? Were you no, fairly... Oh, God. I was, that surprised I was, me because you wow. seemed super bright. I got but... expelled for not going to school, mainly because I was so 
caught up with businesses. So by the age of 16, I was running all of the school trips for the school. I'd done all the coffee machine deals. We had all these vending machines. They were going to buy them. I made the point that we could get them for free and make revenue from them. So I went and organized that for the school, right? And I've been back to speak twice. We still have the same deal. Okay. Um, and I was caught up with, the school had basically given me by the age of about 16, a whole wall, which was my wall to advertise my businesses on. And it was basically all the school trips, which I was running, um, and any other things, I was running all the school parties. So every Halloween, there'd be a party. I'd come up with a party for any reason, just to make money. And did this make you popular at school with the really teachers? Popular, or, uh, really popular the with the kids. I was I was really popular with the kids. Not so popular with the teachers. Okay. I've been back to my school to speak twice now. And they they uh, one of my teachers, Miss, Mrs. Birchnell, came up to me and she said like the perfect thing to describe me. She's like, you're a really, really nice guy, but you were an awful fucking student. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. perfectly summarized because my attendance was 30%. Yeah. I got expelled, but I didn't get expelled for like throwing chairs or cussing because I would never do that. It was for like not coming to school I and see. not doing any homework ever. I did that I did that show, didn't I? Secret Teacher on Channel yes, 4. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went yeah. undercover as a teacher in a school. Um, was and that shocked the system going back in? I hated it. I told them on yeah. the first day, I just, I absolutely hate this. Is it because it's like institutionalised? Because like, I hate anything that's institutionalised. It's so bad. It's like being in prison for me. Yeah. And I told them on the first day, I shouldn't have said this, and I'm glad they didn't put it in the show, but I said, if this school burns down and I don't have to come back tomorrow, I'd be happy. Yeah. I should have said without the students in it. Maybe that <laughs> Yeah, maybe, because yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I got home that day, I was like, fuck, are they going to put that on TV? Like me saying I want this school to burn down. Have you got no filter? No. No, I've got no filter the, either. It's gone, the, my life has got better the less I filtered myself in every way. Not, so if you'd taken it back five years, I'd be thinking too much about what I'm saying right now. And it, I'd be there, 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 there. And it does, it creates a couple of things. The first is it creates really boring content. Yeah. You know? And the second thing is it doesn't really make you happy because self-expression and just speaking your mind really without um, concern is like cathartic. It's like yeah. therapy. So I, I made the decision... Um, very early on, no, not really early on, about two years ago, three years ago, that everything I produce, I'll just fucking say what I want to say. And I did it a couple of times and the reaction was positive. Yeah. Um, going back to your point about school, I learned on that experience a very important thing, which I never realised when I was at school, which is the headmaster is essentially the CEO of the business. He's controlling the money yeah. and the budget. And I said to him on the first day in school, I said, so how what what is determining how much money you get as the ceo because i didn't know headmasters did the budgets i thought they were just like the the teacher that tells kids off um he said well the more pe people i get in here the more students i get in here the more money i get i get about four thousand a head yeah. i said what's determining how many students you get in here and he said oh the league table i said what determines the league table he went oh the grades yeah i go okay fine so you this is a fucking business and they're your yeah. and these kids are your customers yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, the the incentive is isn't the kid it's not like who cares about the kid no the agenda is not the kid in school it's the grade irrespective of what yeah. the kid cares about yeah so the whole system is designed like and that's when a penny dropped and i was like ah okay it's the system not these teachers that i should be angry at the system yeah. is making would look at steve barlett and think he's never coming he doesn't he's not paying attention in this biology lesson he's gonna fail fuck this guy yeah we'll move let's on get to him let's else. get him seized and then that's in, okay in and anything, get more money like, yeah, yeah. anything at all even yeah. though you can see he's running all of these businesses at 15 years old wouldn't it make more sense to nurture that as a as a as a skill well, I mean, I, I'm going back a few because it was a while since I was at school, so I'm going back a while. But I remember we were actually chatting about this the other week. When you do anything like maths, which is a very, very important life skill, it's presented to you in such a way that you just can't relate to it in terms yeah. of, you know, um, just Pythagoras algorithms. Yeah, Pythagoras. And, 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 and just, you know, pi and really making no sense. But why aren't we learning about mortgages, loans, 
interest credit. rates. Yeah, credit. Why are people learning that? Because it amazes me how many people just don't know how interest rates work. Mm. And that's a really important life skill that mm. people are going to need. Um, but I suppose... Yeah, there's you know why change it? We've done this for we've done this for years. Isn't that life though? Yeah. Generally, and, and and especially with these institutions where innovation is harder to disrupt it because like the, the because of the institution of like university and school, it 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 there's a lot of barriers to an entrepreneur to come in and fix that by mm -hmm. creating a new type of school. You're actually seeing it a lot in the US now. There's these new schools popping up from Silicon Valley specifically. I've got a friend that started one. And they're just completely reimagining it. I was reading about this. It's hard though because you've got to you've got to sell to the parent. Yes. And the parent is thinking in a certain way and is you know like my mum. The reason why she didn't speak to me when when I told her I was going to drop out of university for two years was because me getting a degree also says to her and her friends that she's a good mother. Yes. That's the measure yeah. of like a good parent. Well, you know as well, it's it's relatable. So I think if you because an entrepreneur is not a job. So, but, you know, isn't it easier for a parent, you know, when, when other parents say, oh, you know, what's your child do, you know, or how's Steve or how's Al? And they go, oh, yeah, you know, they're a doctor or a dentist yeah, or they're exactly. an estate agent or, you know, yeah, the, whatever they are. Yeah. But yeah. if they just go, well, yeah, he's an entrepreneur, it just sounds like you're an unemployed layabout, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, which, you know, sometimes probably they are. Mm. But, I, and I think it's the fact they can't really r relate to it. My dad was probably an entrepreneur without really knowing he was one because, mm -hmm. you know, he was completely unemployable. After the Second World War, when he grew up, he was, you know, all the jobs were kind of in construction and sort of rebuilding the country after, you know, uh, six years of war. And there was a lot of building to do, so everyone was doing it. So because everyone was doing it, there was no money in it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he didn't enjoy it. And he actually then, people were just starting to get cars. And, you know, he taught himself to be a, a, a mechanic. So he sort of realised what he was doing, probably there wasn't much future in it as such or at that time. So he went and did something else again worked hard never made any money at it mm. but i watched him do that and learned sure. a lot yeah. but yeah he you know he would never have said he was a, a an entrepreneur but it mm -hmm. was just him his brother and his dad a family business mm -hmm. they never worked for anyone else they worked hard to the point like my granddad went blind at 82 and still went to work Crazy. um which is and you know my uncle had a stroke at 74 and carried on going to work and, you know my, my my uncle i mean he never left home he never had a girlfriend you know, he never got married, so he just he just went to work for seventy four years and just and died living with his ninety nine year old mother, and it was just like, I'm not doing that, yeah. <laughs> you know, at all. Mm. So it, it's it's amazing the impact that these these uh, these childhood experiences um, just just have on you. You know how how you get sort of molded directly or indirectly. And mm. um, so so then how social media come about then? So you're at school, you're sort of selling cigarettes. Yeah. So you're fifteen years old, you're doing all school trips. Sixteen years old, so you you, you don't want to go uni. I, I so I didn't know an alternative to university. I didn't. No one told me anything. No one told me that there it's was a gap year. You got to do a gap year and go travelling and find yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's probably like a more of a like a little bit of a more of a pot. Like you've got to have the money to go on a gap year. Yeah. Like right. So for me, my I've got three older siblings and they all went on this path. So you just presume that that's the path you have to go down, which is apply to a university, go and do it. By this point, I think there's something really interesting that happened at about about 16 or roughly about 16 years old where I realized that um I knew I didn't want to be broke and poor but I also knew that my grades were going to come out so bad compared to my brothers who were going to get straight A's my brother was in the newspaper because he got it all like he rewrote the textbooks he's that smart oh wow okay. he, and he got all A's and then A stars and then 100% in three of his um exams I knew I was never going to be 
him. I also knew I was never going to be all the other kids that were getting 100%. And so I gave up at about 16 and, and fell back on this idea that I couldn't prove or justify that I wasn't going to need grades. And the minute I decided that I wasn't going to need grades and I was still going to be successful was the minute when I really like gave up on school. And I got expelled about six months later and I literally didn't even go to most of my exams for A-level. Mm-hmm. Honestly, my the, 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 the grade slip, the thing that's, the piece of paper that says the grades I got that sits in my dad's drawer at home is, um, I made it on the computer. Mm-hmm. Because it was so bad. I like, <laughs> I looked at it. I thought, fuck this. I'm not telling him that. Because I know everyone else got amazing grades. So I went home. I like copied it. And I just changed the grades. And I was like, here, here's the grades I got. He was like, cool. I like, didn't even go to most of the exams. So I ended up getting into this really shit university. Um, like a really bad polytechnic university. Got there one weekend. I look over. I, it, to study business. I look over in the room. And everybody's like sleeping on the desks. And it just dawned on me that this place I was expecting this to be, you know, we're all learning about business. It's practical. Yeah. I'm learning all the secrets was not that. And no, everyone was just here for you. because they just didn't know what else to, to do with their lives. And yeah. this girl next to me is sleeping on the desk. So I left that room and I dropped out um, in my first week of university. I went to one lecture, dropped out, um, had this idea that I'd slight inspiration I'd had when I arrived at university, seeing these messy built um, notice boards. And I thought maybe I can bring no- messy notice boards to the internet because it's crazy that we have a hundred thousand students in this vicinity in Manchester um, where I'd moved for university and we we don't have any way of talking um, together so I thought I'll, I'll make a website that um, brings notice boards online and I was going to call it Wallpark so that's what I did call my mum mum dropping out of university she goes no you're fucking not <laughs> um, in her own African uh, terminology she goes no you're not I go yeah I am I'm doing it she goes don't speak to me or any of the family until you go back to university um and she like called my called my brothers and sisters, told them like not to speak to me or whatever. And how long did that go on for? Did that actually like happen? Two and a half years. It yeah. was two and a half years. That yeah. didn't spe- I thought it was like a, a figure of speech. They actually no. didn't speak to you for two and a half years. Well, there was one occasion where I, where I completely ran out of money and I ended up getting a mega bus from Manchester back to Devon. And I walk in the house and my mum's in a really good mood. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And it turns out my dad, because he wants an easy life, had told her that I'd gone back to university. Blows up. She screams at me some things which she's always going to regret saying to me about she wishing she had an abortion. I stormed back out of the house. I go back up to Manchester. That was the first time I spoke to her in that, in that about three years from dropping out to starting the first business. Um, and yeah, I didn't speak to her. She, she wouldn't speak to me. She I was, I was completely, completely broke. So I'd gone to Manchester with 50 quid, but I had these like three overdrafts. I'd rinsed the overdrafts and I didn't know what a credit rating was. So I destroyed my credit rating. When I put my debit card in the machine, it didn't come back out because that's what they do when yeah. they want, they don't want to, sh- close the account and make it a surprise for you. And how old are you um, at this stage? 18, 19. Okay. And, um, and then I'm, there I am in Manchester, completely broke, no money, minus £7,000. Dropped out of university so you don't get a student loan. So I have this rent to pay for 12 months in this halls of residence, can't pay it. I move out into Mossside, which is where all the gun crime takes place. My house is boarded up there. I'm alone there. Um, can't pay my rent there either. Can't, can't feed myself so I'm just like shoplifting Chicago town pizzas from the corner shop I'm like calling Just Eat and I'm making an order knowing that when the guy gets there I have no money but I'm going to persuade him to give me the food okay I do that all the time there's the hustle there's the hustle he'd get to the door I'd I'd, work every time because what are they going to (laughs) do I really hope you pay them back now oh my girlfriend I think my girlfriend must have ordered this in context when the pain in your stomach is so great that you're literally lying on the floor because you've not eaten for so long you do things you wouldn't think you'd do so the guy gets to the door from Justy I'm like oh my girlfriend must have ordered this she's gone out oh god no man I'm like look pretending I'm looking for money I haven't got any you know and then and then eventually they just give me the food 
But you, so, you, know, you know as well, you, you'll know this, and again, it sounds obvious, but um, I realised this years ago when I, I dropped out of A-levels, I just I went and got on the number 11 bus, went straight to the local gym where I've been training for a year on work experience for free because I couldn't afford to pay gym membership. <laughs> and I said, oh, I want a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started working at this gym. And I realised back then, personality goes a long way. Yeah. You could have grades on a piece of paper yeah. or personality. Now, depending what you want to do, it's nice having a good personality if you're a doctor, but you do need yeah, the grades as well. Um, but if if you've got that, the personality and just mm. just some chat as well. It's, it's like sales, so, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's, and it's just and that's what I was really good at. So that in that moment when I moved to Mossad the first time, I I went and got a telesales job because I knew that there's probably no one in the city that can sell something on the phone better than I can. Yeah, I call up Doreen nine a.m. She she leaves with some double glazing that she didn't know she wanted. And I was really, really good at that. And I would work. What happened is I'd spend two months at every... She didn't even have a house. She, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she lived in a tent. So that's what I did for the next... While I started the business, I did that for the next year or so to just get money. And I'd only last two two months because I'm fundamentally fundamentally unemployable. Yeah. What would happen was I would I would do two months in these call centres. I'd rise to the top of the call centre within... Even the, there was one time it took me two months to get to the top, usually in the first month, selling car insurance, windows, doors, artificial grass, studio vouchers all over Manchester, Facebook ads before anybody was using Facebook in 2012. Um, I'd make tons of money and then I'd either, get, I'd either quit or get fired. I'd usually get fired because I would okay. just stop coming. One time, one time I got fired because they caught me pretending to speak to on the phone, <laughs> and they called me into the office and played it. And you can hear I'm just ha- pretending to have a conversation with myself. Okay, so what hotel would you like? And there's no one on the phone. <laughs> but what I'm doing is I'm designing my website and my in my um, okay. on my mobile phone in my hand. So I'm like fundamentally unemployable, and I did that until the website was live. Um, and you just get bored. Is it boredom or is it, it as to, as to why I was messing around on the phones or yeah no just in terms of say about being unemployable and and you, you again you've obviously if you set your heart on mm. doing something uh, you can get there pretty quickly mm. but then when you get there and i know we spoke about this on, on on your podcast last year but you know when you get there you think i'm actually don't want to be here anymore because i want to be somewhere else and wherever wherever there is mm. if you're an entrepreneur is, yeah. is always a different place so in the case of the call centers i was the most dedicated when I was there and the best at it. So I would, they, they, they allowed voluntary overtime. So you could work as long as you wanted to. I would get there at nine o'clock and I'd leave at 11 PM and I'd make more money than 150 others that had been doing it for years. Um, selling car insurance at Swinton's car insurance. Like anybody that listens, like a lot of people that still know me from there and they'll know that I was the best in month one um, by a long way. I was the hardest working as well, but that wasn't my, that wasn't the life that, that was meant for me. So this yeah. was a stepping stone. Um, to your point about boredom, like it's a very, it's something that I've really, um, really thought a lot about and something that I've really had to spend a lot of energy on because I set myself goals when I was 18 years old that I've, everybody's seen cause I've still got my diary and it's all written there. <clears throat> and by 25, I'd achieved those goals and there was an expectation that it would feel different when I got there. Mm-hmm. And that was because, you know, the goals I wrote in my diary at 18 years old, which everybody has seen is um, I want a Range Rover to be my first car mm-hmm. and I'd never driven before. I'd never had a car. I was completely broke when I wrote that. I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 25. Maybe don't have that and keep it in Moss Side. No, I know, yeah. Cause I'm bloody hell, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't last long, Moss yeah. Side. Some bastard nicked the wheel off mine at the weekend, so. Oh, my car gets smashed to pieces all yeah. the time. Um, the, the other two was, so a Range Rover, I was going to be a millionaire. I want to have a girlfriend. never had a girlfriend before because my mum and dad were so toxic together. Has that, that changed yet? Yes. Okay, good. 
Um, and the last one was I wanted to work on my, bod- my, my, my body image because I was super, super skinny, super skinny. Um, so those were my four goals before 25. And upon che- achieving, like, achieving them, there was just this tremendous sense of anticlimax. In fact, it was one of the most confusing days of my life when someone came across... Uh, when I was like 24 years old and asked if they could buy the business and they, a big, you know, how many digits? I don't know. Eight digit number? Eight digit number. Big eight digit number. They offered to buy the business and I went home and 18 year old inadequate um, Steve shows up and on that, in that moment and he goes on right move and auto trader and he loads it up and looks at these big houses and big cars and thinks, okay, uh, showtime, let's do this. Let's live the dream. You always said you want to live. And, um, and I just felt this sense of like, if I got these things, I think I'll be poorer, but not in a financial sense, because then what? And I and I just I'd been really close to some friends of mine that are on this like they call it the hedonistic treadmill, which is they get the Lamborghini, then they're like, what next? And I and I looked at all of the, this this Lamborghini that I really wanted and thought, what do I get after? What do I get after that? And that was a really confusing day for me. I ended up getting a big house in the countryside on a hill a seven bedroom house with a tennis court at the bottom of the garden and a hundred meter distance between the front door and the the electric gates on the front. And I moved in there with Dom, big fucking house, two living rooms, cinemas downstairs, you name it. And day one was great. Like day one, we're like, ah, we've made it. We're like running around, like fucking let's get, let's invite some girls over, you know, like, and then you re- like, I'm just like, why am I here? I've just put myself 45 minutes away from all my friends in the middle of nowhere. Um, I don't feel any different in any way. I lasted about seven months there. And then I, I, I begged to leave and I went to one bed in back 10 minutes from the office. And I've been on that journey. I've been on that journey a lot of really trying to understand what, it, what my goals are and, and really why I have those goals. That's the killer question is um, I... When, as I reflect, the reason why I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 25 and have a Range Rover Sport and get a girlfriend was because I was caught up on this idea that if I become this like happy, sexy millionaire, I'll be um, exponentially more happy. The thing was, which I didn't realise, right, and, and society had tricked me into um, believing was I was already happy the yes. whole fucking time. <laughs> I was happy in Moss Side. I was as happy in Moss Side stealing those Chicago times. I mean this as well. It sounds like yeah. people don't believe me when I say it, but I don't really care. No, I, I believe you. I, uh, yeah. I was as happy then as I am now. I was genuinely, and I've always been happy, but something, probably Instagram and magazines and bullshit you see online, told me that I couldn't possibly be because I didn't have a Lamborghini yet. And the thought that I couldn't possibly be and that I was missing something was the thing actually that was causing me problems. So um, I had to go and get that house in the middle of nowhere with the big gate and the cinema downstairs to realise that I, I, I didn't need it. Um, do you think that society tricks us or we trick ourselves? Because, again, I completely get the point about happiness. And I've said this um, a lot. And having nice things is always the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had nice things and not had nice things. And I definitely know what, what I prefer. But to your point as well, I can't remember a time in my life where I've ever been unhappy. Mm. Um, maybe there's a difference between being happy but not necessarily content. Yes, yeah. So, so I think it's fine to be happy but just want to go and do something else. Otherwise, you just, you know, if you, if you, hit, your, yeah, if you hit your goals at yeah. 25, well, you can't pause your life for the next 65 yeah. or 70 years thinking, well, that's it, no, I'm done. I did everything mm. I wanted to do. So mm. you always have to pat yourself on the back for what you've done and then, Yes, 100%. And I've thought, like, to say that I've thought long about, hard about this is a massive understatement. I've written at length, I've gone to jungles in Indonesia and written about this topic at tremendous length. So I'm like, 
I was, I, I'm trying to, I was trying to do the exact same thing when I was writing about this, was how do I contend this idea of feeling like you are already enough and you don't need anything more mm-hmm. with this sense of ambition, which I have as well. And in fact, I, I almost concluded that it's the feeling that I'm enough that creates this platform to do everything I'm doing for good, to, for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. When I didn't feel like I was enough, I was I was chasing stuff for the wrong reasons. And and then when I got it, it wasn't fulfilling because it was all extrinsically motivated. I was doing it to impress girl A, B, this person, whatever. Now, when I know that I'm enough, I chase things, but for, for intrinsic reasons that will make me happy. And I'm not against Lamborghinis. Like I'm probably going to buy one, but when I buy one, I'm going to buy it for the right reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the difference. And I now feel like, someone said to me one day, they said, um, what if you're already enough? And it just like haunted me because it shattered, it shattered, it felt like it shattered my purpose. This idea that you are already enough. You already have everything you need. You are already everything you need to be. Um, and who is? No one, no one can, because we always want to improve on ourselves. I think you can want to improve whilst also believing that you are already enough. Yes. Okay. You already. I'm already enough. Like I have. I have. I have every. And I, to be fair, in Moss side, although I was struggling to eat, and you're like Maslovia needs. I do need to eat food and shelter, whatever. But I was already enough. Do you think? Though, is there any way? Because I believe you. But do because you think? Do you think you or we are misremembering? Because I say. Because I said before, so I hated school, but I was never unhappy. I just hated school. Mm. So. And when I left junior school and the headmaster wrote in my, my book the day I left, he just put, oh, you know, keep smiling. Mm. And, you know, he wasn't being sarcastic. I was always bouncing around school perfectly happy. Mm. I'd rather have been somewhere else, but mm. I, just, I just wasn't unhappy. But do you think we're misremembering? And actually, if you did go back to that time in Moss, I'd known what you know now. Do, do you think... Do you know what it was? It was my mind's in Moss side. I didn't think I was going to be here long. So I I started a diary, which I've still got today and I could pull it up on my phone. I'll show you after Mm. where I say, I'm going to start recording this diary because I'm going to tell loads of people about it one day. And I lied in my diary on day one. And it gives me goosebumps when I say this. I said in my diary that a TV show had approached me to write about this. I just didn't know how to write it in my diary that I was going to record this because I thought I was going to be rich one day. And you see every day in my diary. And so that gives you an idea of my perspective. I wasn't in Moss Side. I was on this, I was starting my movie of yeah, how, I, okay. how I got out of Moss Side. So everything was fascinating to me. It was like, look how, I, this is video of me opening my fridge going, I've got no food and me recording it and me being like, look at these bailiff. So in the presentations I do, I talk all around the world. I show you all the photos I took and it's like, look what I'm eating today. And it's fucking flour mixed with water. I show you my desk. That's and what you got for lunch, actually. We oh, thought you'd like to brilliant. reminisce. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like all these bailiff letters and all, all the um, CCJs I got when I was 18 and 19. And I'm, I'm documenting it because my mindset told me that this was, if I thought that was my destination, I would have been fucking miserable. Yeah. To me, it was just this really exciting journey I was on to becoming this massive, successful millionaire entrepreneur. And it's the mindset difference. That's what made me happy. I think when, when Social Chain went public, when we became a public company, and I see it, it's worth 190 million that day. I didn't feel anything. And like the, and I, I start to really think about it. I'm like, why does this uh, day yeah, That's feel- a bit sad in a way. You, need, you, you do need to address that. You must feel this overwhelming pride. You must feel that. I'm not saying it makes it's, you happier. I get that. I had to, but- pr- this is the thing. I had to like deploy the grass. So I was expecting, as I was when that person made that big offer or whatever, like confetti and like gratitude yeah. to show a marching up. band. Yeah. But so the, what I learned on that day, here's a, here's a, Do you want to get your marching band? It would be really useful. <laughs> yeah. Really useful. Okay. Um, what I learned on that day is 
I call Dom and Dom, Dom's the same. Dom's like super anticlimactic. We're like, we're just like, kind of like, it's the expectation again that we would be some, we would feel something else that's making us not feel so great. So like kind of an anticlimax. I walk out the door that day and I thought, you know, I'll just walk to work today, the day that we went public, walking down the street. And I look up and I see um, the Beetham Tower in Manchester, this tall skyscraper. And I remember, I, go, you know, I remember, I used to walk down this street when I was broken. I used to walk past that. And he said, one day I'm going to live in there. And the apartment's are only 600 pounds a month. And then I keep walking and I walk past this ga Jaguar garage. And every single day when I did my night shift at this call centre, I walk past this Jaguar garage. I used to say to myself, I'd love to buy a Jaguar one day. I'd like fantasise about it. And in that moment, all the gratitude showed up. And really what it was, was the contrast of being able to really feel the life that I used to live and the life that I have now. And I, I started crying and I called, I called Dom, I sent him this voice note and I'm like, fuck. And it was, sometimes you need the contrast. You, you do. And you know, you know what, what has definitely happened there and it sounds crazy. And, and, and I think I get this a lot. It hasn't sunk in. Yeah, it hadn't. It's, it's no. just not the fact that you're ungrateful or disappointed or unhappy mm. in any way. It just sometimes just doesn't sink mm. in. And sometimes things take years to sink in. Mm. And, you know, maybe they never sink in. I, mm. I don't know. Because if you imagine it like a staircase of a thousand stairs, you just, you go up one stair every day. Yeah. And you don't celebrate one stair. No. Right? So when you get to the top of the staircase, you're like, I've just done a thousand stairs. But you've not, you've done one stair a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, the, the, the reason why I walked through those streets and I, I got really emotional and suddenly I was overcome with gratitude was I got to see stair one, zero again for a second. And I yeah. got to see where, and I got to look back down that staircase by looking at this Jaguar garage. And I was like, whoa, this is, cr this is nuts, you know? And, and you know the problem as well, if, if it is something as, uh, you know, as, as simple as, stairs and you could look at your life or, or the journey or your know, entrepreneurism this way when you can see you're at the top stair mm. and you can't see the next stair oh that's terrifying yeah exactly so actually you because all you can see now is the way back down again mm -hmm. so it, it you know if that's yeah floating your company or you know me being on necker you're thinking actually how do i beat this it's back to that mm. the, the you know the supercar analogy and in a way i think that's where you get the elements of almost Again, it's not unhappiness or dread, perhaps a bit of realism thinking, yeah. shit, I've got to beat this now. Yeah. And we're competitive people, very competitive people. But also with you saying about, about that and the fact you don't feel any different, you know, that's humility, Steve. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing quality. Mm. And a lot of people don't have that. And it's, it's, it's one of the qualities. And again, actually, we've had lots of people say, you know, how does Steve say humble and whatever? Because it's easier said than done because we yeah. all have our moments. Yeah. But actually, that's, that's a phenomenal mm. trait. So I don't think you should think of that as, um, as a negative. I don't. I don't. It's, and it's just really contending with... Um, so when I get those feelings, I just really try and understand it and, um, and why, why, why I feel that way. And, I, you know, I'm going through all of this like like you know as a young guy i'm going through this with 25 26 years old well so, i'm loving watching you do it because yeah. again i'm learning mm -hmm. and i'm seeing things you're saying and i'm like oh, mm -hmm. i get that i get that mm -hmm. i get that and, it, and it, there's not that many people mm -hmm. who certainly do the type of stuff you've done i mean it's just, mm -hmm. it's a very 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 elite club mm -hmm. so there's so few people you can look to and again you can tell how genuine it is now mm -hmm. really is because again if you just look on instagram it looks like everyone does that yeah. it's all bollocks yeah. so um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing to watch your journey because I'm mm. excited watching mm. you on it. There's something you said which really, really um, resonated with me just then. You said about when you get to the top of the staircase, um, it can actually feel, um, it can actually feel really strange and quite depressive or it can feel quite uncomfortable. And this is another thing that I've, that I've really spent a long time thinking about and writing about in the book that I have coming out is about this, this 
I used to think that, uh, you know, when I was in Mossad, I used to think that I was in a situation of chaos and what I was searching for was stability, mm-hmm. right? But it's actually the other way around. When I was in Mossad, I was stable because I had purpose, I had meaning and I had yeah. a pursuit. Yeah. That was my step. The chaos was when I get to the top. And, in, and this is the, the thing that I think people really need to reconsider is like my st- your stability as an entrepreneur, as anybody in this room, is your purpose, is the drive. It's the stri- striving for something. It's the pursuit. So the, 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 the pursuit of happiness, um, all in all, is the happiness, like the pursuit yeah. itself. And in fact, chaos is the stability. Chaos is when you have no, this is why people are killing themselves at like unbelievable rates. This is why for the, for the last two years, in like literally recorded history, if you go on Google and type in life expectancy in the UK or the US, for the last two years is the first time in recorded history where it's dropped for the first time ever mm-hmm. in the UK and the US. And the reason for that is the opioid epidemic, which is again, people feeling, um, you know, a certain way so that they get addicted to heroin and suicide. suicide yeah. It's the two things that have affected the life expectancy. And it's like a lack of inherent meaning in people's lives, according to all of the people that I, that I admire and read about. And, um, People just like really need that. And and it kind of compounds the point that in fact, chaos is stability. Chaos is when everything is fine. You have nothing to do. You have no purpose, no reason to get up in the morning. And stability is in fact what we thought chaos was, which is when you're challenged and you have something to strive for yeah. and when you're chasing something and when there's a goal, a meaningful goal. We know the problem as well. You become so fixated on the goal. Did you ever think about what happens Never achieve the goal no because no one ever does so it's actually really common we had Liv Cook on the other week and she was saying after she became I think you know world champion of the first time I think she was then four times world champion um as she became world champion she didn't think about what was going to happen the following day because again she didn't get the marching band and the confetti Mm. um she goes home uh, to her flat yeah she she went she went home and was about ah yeah what do I do Um, yeah and for the first time then you don't Mm. have that meaning and it's like and that's chaos yeah it is yeah it's it it really is so I think and 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 I certainly didn't think what would happen the day after you know we did our first big deal our second big deal Mm. you know now you think okay will there be a third big deal you think actually you 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 just have to kind of think you know to the end of your life and things are going to happen good and bad and and Mm. whatever but you just always have to have um that goal and purpose and something you can improve on. Mm-hmm. That's why as well, and I think you'll be the same, it's great having a brand because a brand isn't finished. Mm-hmm. So you can always evolve a brand. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is if you have something where it's very much like finished, like mm-hmm. buying a Lamborghini, I don't have one, house. then you yeah. have one, you're building it. Oh, it's finished now, I've got that. I think that's actually why I like flying mm-hmm. because I could fly for the next 60 years and I'm always going to be able to get better. Mm-hmm. So I think that way then it's not just a, okay, there is an element of, well, I, can, I can't fly and now I can fly. Mm-hmm. But then there's all sorts of different aircraft and ratings mm. and fixed wing and rotary and whatever. So mm. I like filling my life full of stuff. The problem is, again, then you are always busy chasing yeah. rabbits, potentially. Mm-hmm. And you've got to make sure every now and again you do stop and catch one. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we could talk about this stuff all day yeah. long. So sorry. Right then. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. Um, so got to ask you a bit, just a bit of stuff about uh, social media and social chain. Sure. Um, I mean, f- just some quick fire ones. Favorite social media platform? Oh, Twitter. Okay. Oh, really? That shocks yeah. me. I thought you go LinkedIn. A hundred percent Twitter because okay. it's. I just think it's so undervalued. I'm like, if you, if, if I told you, you could listen to some of the world's smartest minds directly from them. Directly, you yeah. could just listen to them speak and think out loud, um, all across the world in any corner, of the, and you can watch them argue with each other and arrive at conclusions and learn yeah. from them. 
like uh, people, I don't, I don't think people understand the the power of Twitter. It's the single thing that teaches me the most uh, in terms of social media platforms. Um, it's the breaking news for me. It's everything. It's my most used social media app. See, that's really interesting. It's my least. Really? I sort of, yeah, because I find Twitter a bit pointless. And I think I've, I've got to make sure that I'm probably I'm just following the right people. That's it. Because otherwise, yeah, you get a lot of stuff kind of drifts yeah. past your feed. And it's, yeah, it's perhaps I'm mass mute. I can't follow people because they'll take it personally. So I yeah. mass mute and I've probably muted about 85% of the people that I'm following. Okay, right. I need to do yeah. that. Then I start muting people. <laughs> I promise I won't mute you. <laughs> so in, in business, best business advice you've ever been given? Oh, um, I would say the first thing that springs to mind is um, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right, which is a quote that someone said to me and it just it for me described the probably the most important thing that underpins um business and the challenges you face which is just believing that you're you can mm -hmm. and like that as a as a driving force seems to just smash down walls that apparently could never be smashed down so you'll you'll get today someone will say to you oh no alan we can't make chocolate like that we can't do it like oh, that. oh here all the time yeah right yeah. And same with elon musk they said to him that you know you can't make electric cars that are using batteries that are fast and cheap it, you can't it can't be done right and the willing the belief that you can is in fact really the driving force behind learning how to do it getting it done persuading other people to do it so even in my team when when i come across someone who i believe is being a pessimist about our ability to do something I'm just like, I really, really, um, it really, really annoys me because I think the the belief that you can in my life is really the reason I'm sat here now. Like if you look at the, look at it on paper, no grades, no money, um, like no real inherent advantages that you could pro probably point out. My brothers and sisters aren't entrepreneurs, but the thing that, that defined me was at 16 years old. And look, look, they call me a social media expert. Like no one's born knowing about social media. Yeah, yeah. So, but the thing that really, the only thing I can point out, that's the thing that made me different was um, I always believed, I always believed, I always believed, regardless of what someone would say to me, I always believed, I believed I was going to be a millionaire. You can see it in my diary, 18 years old, a broke kid writes, his first car is going to be a Range Rover Sport. It was, I was going to be a millionaire before I'm 25. I was, I always just believed it, like, no one could tell me otherwise. Things. What's the worst that could have happened? So, because no one was actually really expecting it to to happen. There was nothing so if else. It didn't. You haven't lost anything. Nothing else was going to happen, Alan. In my mind, yeah, was nothing inevitable. else was going to happen. There was no other life. Steve lived. There was in my head. There was no other. I heard my business partner talking once in a while, and he's and someone asked him a question, which was like, um, "Oh, did you ever doubt?" Da da da. And he's like, "Oh yeah, like I I didn't think it." Da da. And I'm sat there thinking. No, no, I ne never. There was no other life. There was no plan B. And I think sometimes removing choices and removing the plan B um, just like adds fuel to the, the fire of plan A. And and that for me is my defining quality. So that's my most important business advice. Sorry to. Okay. No, 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 no. And again, I, do you know what? I've got loads and loads of, of questions about social chain and, and social mm. media and whatever. And I'm not going to ask you any of them because I'm just loving all of your, uh, I'm just loving your views on life about entrepreneurialism because <laughs> it's just brilliant because we could have a thousand guests on it. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, never get, no, you know, never get this. But I mean, so what do you think now? What is it that's driving you and getting you out of bed in the morning? It's great with everything, question. With everything you've said. Mm. Because again, now you've, you've, you're driving probably almost mm. towards the unknown. Yeah. So you'll have little stepping stones along the way that, that you know, markers, mm. whether again, it's targets for the business yeah. or, you know, personal um, targets or whatever, the acquisition of certain things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, are there any, 
you know, what is it? What is it's it that, that? Really good question. And it's I'm, difficult for people like us. I, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Like, I might not. I might be lying with this answer because it's so hard to know. You know. Yeah. We, we're, we're all like kind of looking at ourselves, trying to figure it out. But I think there's something in me at the moment, in particular that really wants to see my true potential and really test myself. Okay. So we're, we're, we're doing this massive show in Manchester called The Diary of a CEO Live, which is my podcast live. And it's not what you'd expect. It's like heavily musical. It's like theatre. Okay. So I'm like, can I make a theatre show? Is my invite show? in the post? 100%. Okay. You know, front row. <laughs> um, you'll have meet and greet backstage. Might <laughs> <laughs> be an anticlimax. No, like, but I'm really like, with that, I'm like, can I like write, can I write a, like a theatrical show? Is that some, because people typically, they put themselves in boxes. They say, oh, I am a uh, writer or I am an entrepreneur. Is your I mom in it? Your mom needs to be in she's it. Gonna, she's not going <laughs> to, I'm going to talk about her a lot. That's for sure. But she's not going to, probably not going to be there. Um, and, and I've just, I'm so inspired by people like Elon Musk, where he's made this payment business, then done like these cars, then spacecrafts and, and Kanye West. People don't like him, but started as a producer, became a rapper, started doing clothing. Now he does these shows. Now he's doing gospel. And I'm really liberated by this idea that you don't just need to be one thing. So I want to be more than one thing. I want to go, I want to do the, start doing theatre shows and writing that. I want to start, I probably at some point want to, I kind of want to be a DJ at some point after I do the entrepreneurial thing. And I think you can splice all of, the, all of these things together. And I think that the skills that have made you successful um, can be translated into a bunch of other things, whether it's philanthropy or creative or whatever it might be. And I want to go and do that. And I want to really, I really want to surprise myself and a lot of other people by them thinking, wasn't he that social media kid that did that social media stuff? Why is he making movies? And you know, to a certain extent as well. I think it'll be fun, uh, good uh, challenge. Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. And di diversification's key. And again, I was, you know, uh, chatting to, uh, I mean, and I'm sorry to mention Richard Branson again, but you know where he was saying uh, before. You know, but I did a uh, a talk with him a couple of years ago about diversification, and he was saying, you know, if they hadn't diversified, mm. they'd still have record shops. Yeah. So actually, no, you wouldn't. Have record yeah, shops. you'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. Um, but I think when you've had a successful business, whether again, you know, it's uh, Virgin Records or you know Grenade or Social Chain, okay, maybe lightning doesn't strike twice yeah. but maybe may, may, maybe it does but i think to a certain extent you get a free move don't you yeah. somewhere yeah so just i think the key is don't blow your free move because <laughs> if you do yeah then you're it's probably going to yeah, be a bad. it's probably going to be a bit harder yeah um but i i mean for me in terms of getting out of bed because i've had people come over here and in fact even our investors come over here and they've gone they've you know invested in Grenade, and they said this is our last investors, Grove Point Capital, invested in Grenade. They'd never been to my house or anything, and, and they actually came to my, my party, my 40th birthday party three years ago. And one of my investors, who again, you know, knows me very well, as you know, working hard and driving the business and, and whatever, and just, and he sort of came to the house and he said, I don't know how you go to work every day. Why? Uh, just because I think. He thought it was beautiful, so he thinks. Yeah, ju just, just the point. I think, again, he thought, well, you've cracked it. How do you leave all this? How do you then jump in a car, drive for an hour and a half, Is he an go to work a day in office? No, he's not. He's okay. a corporate investor. And again, that's yeah. that's the point. They don't quite So he's thinking the reason it. you're doing this is to get it's, wealthy. It's to money, yeah. 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 So he's mistaking yeah. your purpose. For, yeah, you know. So which is really common. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and again, it people don't quite get the fact we do some of this stuff just because... We love it. We want to do good things. You mentioned philanthropy. Yeah. I'd like to leave the world a better place mm -hmm. than I found it. So I'd like to do, you know, just discrete things along the way that just mm -hmm. improve people's lives. Um, I like the fact that we've got, you know, a team now of 70 people. You'll have hundreds mm -hmm. of people. 
Uh, I like the fact that... I wish I had 70. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not, not my 70. Um, the, um, no the, actually, they, they're all epic, you do, really. But it's, you know, again, I feel a sense of responsibility. I don't want to let them down. I don't mm. want to be the kind of guy that, oh, you, oh where's Alton? Oh, yeah, couldn't be asked to come in today because he's gone off, you know, helicopter mm. shopping or something. And, and, you know, because... And it does. It's that humility again. Mm. I think you know. I don't want to let people down. Let myself down. I want to improve. Like you want to improve. And again, I want to make the team proud. And I want them to, uh, you know, fulfil their best potential. You know, I had one of my team this week. You know, he's talking about starting his own business. And I said, I'd be the first person to shake your hand. Mm. You know. So, and I yeah. think they probably would almost expect. You know, from from the, the wrong employer, you to be just Bitter. again try and talk them out of it. Yeah. But I'd never talk someone out of. Yeah you know, following following a dream, it'd be absolutely criminal. Mm. Um, so saying this, so now, so what do you think is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Uh, and how do you look back, you know, on that risk? Oh, biggest risk, I think, probably at the time was um, I had a big glass. When I made, I launched wallpark.com, which was the notice board website. It took me about three years. I was 20 years old, 21 years old. And I um, had started building these social media pages to drive people to Wallpark. And I had investors, I had five investors at the time. One of them was actually the the, fa- the founder of Friends Reunited, which at one point was the biggest social network in the world. So I had a lot of like, you know, big name investors um, backing this kid that had never done anything in his life before. And I started to believe that I'd created this website that was that was for students, but I built four million students, uh, a following of four million students on social media. I started to believe that you don't need the website. You could do what I'm trying to do on social media. Okay. I tried to tell my investors that. They told me I was wrong. Um, That's quite common as well, because again, they're looking at this differently. Yeah, I mean, it's yep. like the, probably one of my real saving grace, graces in life is just like, I think about things in a very logical manner. I don't buy convention. I kind of buy what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And that, when you think, when you can think of that way, like reason from these, as Elon says, sorry to keep using his name. Um, when you reason from first principles, which is just what you know to be true right now, you create really like innovative new solutions, mm-hmm. but none of us can. Like it's it, because we all follow blueprints for safety reasons, because, you know, that's the way it's always been done, whatever. But in that moment, I saw, I'm like, I have 4 million students here on my right hand mm-hmm. and I'm driving 20% of them um, a month over to my website to then put adverts on my website. Mm. Why don't I just put the adverts where the 4 million students are? Yeah. So explaining that to, no, 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 no. And it, because people, brands went on social media back then. I remember yeah. asking Spotify if they wanted to be posted on my Facebook page and then telling me to where to stick that idea and begging to be on my website. But I'm like, there's more people here. So big glass of wine in London, sent an email. I resign. I quit. Again, I quit again. This is like the third time I'd quit my life. School, university, and then I quit again out of the blue. Everyone's super surprised. And I was like, I believe more in these social media pages and social media. I'm going to start building these social media pages. So 21 years old, I go around the world meeting every young person I could that's built a big social media page. I persuaded them all to give me their social media pages for free. Nearly all of them still work with me today. And that sounds exploitative. They're all rich. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, Dom was the first to give me a social media page. His net worth is several several million yeah you know um and he was a 21 year old kid edinburgh university i met him in a revs bar up there and i said listen drop out of university come to manchester um give me your student problems twitter page which had five thousand followers it now has 12 million um and you know come and do this with me and then i went around hannah cattle nick speakman they all gave gave their social media pages for free again there's there's the chat the personality he couldn't believe his he couldn't believe the opportunity i was presenting he, he thought it was like, and in hindsight, I'm like, Dom, you're an idiot. Like if a, 
some like random kid shows up in a revs bar, tells you to drop out of university and come to Manchester, say no. Like, <laughs> yeah, but the thing is as well, you but, must have had that in is because you probably couldn't talk someone into doing what they really didn't want to do. I mean, he must have already had that seed planted potentially. Or again, oh, you were super competitive. I gave him an Did option. you sell him insurance through Swinton's at the same it was, time? It was basic. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he was the last person you'd consider an entrepreneur and he'd say that. He was the last. Okay. But I gave him an option that felt more compelling than his current one. His current one was carry on doing this degree at Edinburgh University doing like sports uh, science whatever it was the, the option i presented was we're going to build this this global student social network i have all of these investors and i want you yeah compelling okay. right i'm in it feels compelling <laughs> you know like I, it feels compelling he was so oh my god he he showed up to this revs bar with a, a perfect type perfect black suit shiny black shoes i'm there in like my snapback and i'm like <laughs> the fuck is this guy doing and he came with me to manchester um, and that's what I did at 21 years old. I met all these young kids. All of them gave me their social media pages. I gave all of them a job in exchange for that. And we called it this chain of social media pages, social chain. Yeah. Brilliant. And that was five years ago. So it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And again, I mean, and someone's asked, you know, said, what's the biggest risk, but actually there's, you could probably name one almost every week. Yeah. As, of course as, now. Well, it's really, it's really moment, tricky. It was, my biggest risks in hindsight are always when you look back and say, you threw yourself into a really uncertain situation with no plan. And at the time it felt okay, but 21 years old, I was on like BBC as this Walpark kid. I was, you know, when you're young, they parade you around. They're like, oh, he's done a business. And he's like, you know, like, yeah. and so that Bless was my him. identity. It was my family who had finally, were finally proud of me. And I'd finally got like, I finally had some money so that I didn't have to like steal food anymore. One day I went up and spoke on stage in front of a big room of people. Three people came up to me and invested in my company yeah. because I was just this, you know, this 18 year old prodigy because I could speak. It's a massive advantage. It is. Um, no, it is. And it's funny, actually, because the reason I asked that question is when we did our first big deal and um, we were taking, you know, a lot of significant uh, legal advice and I went, we met armies of law firms and the law firm we picked was still with today. Mm. And, um, I went, and and one of the ones that we rejected, I'll say actually why, I won't say who it is, but why we rejected them. And we, we went in and, you know, We'd, we, we, so my wife and I, we'd gone in, you know, we're, we're, we're on the throes of, sure. you know, this, this, this business that, you know, worth at the time around about 35 million. Um, and we, you know, and, and this, this, uh, law firm is sort of pitching as to why we should work with them and how they're going to help us. And they'd sat and just patronized me for an hour about how clever they were, how I wasn't clever, mm. how I was clearly lucky. No. Um, how again that, you know, I couldn't possibly meddle this money because they'd been to university Foolish. and I hadn't. And, and they completely ignored uh, my wife, who's really? just yeah, which actually didn't didn't bother her at the time. It would bother her now. Mm. It didn't bother her then, but it bothered me because I thought actually, although I was probably more vocal and it's mm. more of a male industry, you know, Jules is super smart, super hardworking. Mm -hmm. You know, behind anyone that's kind of the the, the front man, whether it's the likes of me or sure. you or whatever, there's a lot of other people of doing course. a lot of a lot of other stuff because we're doing all the theatre, but a lot mm. of the time they're doing a lot of the other uh, stuff that's potentially even harder. Um, and the most, the, the best bit I remember was that they were a bit like, uh, well, you know, we'll invest this money for you. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, oh, why is that? And they said, oh, well, we know all about investments oh, and, okay. you know, and you don't and blah, Christ. blah. And it was, and it was a bit, honestly, it, all they really needed to do was just go, oh, bless you. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. a glass of milk, mm. um, and whatever. And, um, and I've never done, and I, humility is important to me. So mm. I've never, I'm not proud of this, but you'll, when you, you understand the circumstances, um, and, and I said, if I was getting more and more and more annoyed at how really? kind of arrogant they were, and uh, I've never done this before or since, but I, I sort of stopped him dead, but I'd had about an hour of this. Mm. And again, about how, how clever they were. And, um, I said, can I just ask you one question? 
And um, and this guy's probably mid-50s, and I'm sort of like 30 at the time. And um, he uh, he said, yeah. I said, oh, are you a multimillionaire? Mm. Bear in mind, we're talking about investments mm. and all this. And he went, no. I said, well, I am, so fuck off. <laughs> and I just walked off. And that and that actually sounds terrible. No, but we, we all have but, our moments. But we do have our moments. But the thing is as well, the reason I say it's a bit weird is I wouldn't dream of going up to Michael Schumacher and mm. going... And patronising him. Yeah. Mm. I'll teach you the thing too about driving, mate. I've just mm. passed my test. Mm. Jump in. Mm. You know, blah. It's a bit weird in terms of... So foolish. Uh, yeah, so I think it, it, and it, it's, it's really weird from this kind of corporate world. And this is why with investors and entrepreneurs it's a really tricky balance of kind of oil and water that you mm-hmm. have to try and make work and you'll be doing it as well where we probably just know stuff mm-hmm. we don't know how or why we know stuff but we just know stuff Stick and we've got it. this absolute and this is coming across you you know in it absolutely uh, radiating off you just this belief mm-hmm. in whether it's right or wrong if it's wrong you'll make it right because mm-hmm. you absolutely believe in it and i think other people have to just be told stuff constantly for them to eventually believe it and it's weird. We had um, we had a, 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 a flavor development company in, um, into Grenade uh, recently, and uh, my head of product, who's very much like me, he's been with us for sort of six years. And again, he just just gets it. Mm-hmm. So you can't teach you; he just absolutely gets it. And um, he said, "Oh, I said I had a flavor house in today." And he said, "I don't know why I bother." He said, "But every now and again, I kind of feel I should get one in to see if we're missing anything." I said, you learn anything? He said, "No, not at all." He said, "I can't understand." He said, "How? Why? They can't work out how we launch." Flavors of things. So we've just done those like blueberry muffin and billionaire shortbread and these new reload bars. And they can't work out how we come up with the flavors. And I'm like, well, we just like them, really. Yeah. But they can't work out how we aren't doing loads and loads of surveys to find out what people actually want. And, you know, they, they've got to go and ask, like, get a serve 40 different surveys yeah. to tell them it might be a good idea to launch a strawberry flavored product in the summer. It's like, well, we kind of know that, I think. Yeah, but surveys but, are also going to just lead you down the path of convention. And, like, yeah, no, they nobody do. knows what they want either. No, they don't. Until they, they, don't. Until they, they don't. try it and they're like, so, oh, well, you know. Well, I had this conversation actually about Virgin Atlantic because, um, and Richard was saying, there's not, really, there's not much point asking a, a Virgin Atlantic passenger what they want because they want cheaper flights. Mm-hmm. They want to get places quicker. Well, you know, there's, that's just. Yeah, physics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, they all want yeah, yeah lie down beds yeah. in economy. Uh, it, it's just you don't you don't learn anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't care what colour the air stewardess's uniforms mm. are, particularly because mm-hmm. it doesn't improve the flight. So, yeah, what do you actually learn? Mm. So, but yeah, there's there's a whole kind of survey culture, and I think these entrepreneurs, we just kind of know just stuff go, that yeah. we think's right. So true. And I th- actually, I think it's simple. I think well, very often I think, well, I like that, and if I like it, I think other people are like it. Do you get frustrated sometimes that people? can't understand constantly yeah constant frustration how do you deal with that uh i i, I well i'll be honest i don't i'm still learning probably okay. how to try and curb okay. frustration Same. and we were chatting this morning about something actually with business and i just said like just you know don't say we can't do it we're doing yeah. this don't no one's yeah. told we can't do it how yeah. are we going to do this <laughs> it it's um yeah i'll probably i'm probably not good at managing frustration i'm i'm not that great either when you crack it, you'll crack it before me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no doubt. When you crack it, can you please tell me? I'm getting marginally better, but but there's also a place for frustration, which is probably something people don't say in business. There okay. is a place for having um, uh, moments of passion, let's say, <laughs> about how things should be done. And people won't appreciate that, but... Um, if you look at any great entrepreneur, whether it's Steve Jobs, you know, someone told me a, a story about Steve Jobs the other day that he was so um, 
easily frustrated and so passionate about how things had to be done that they actually built him his own office away from the main campus and they and they only let people work in there that could deal with Steve. Yeah. And because he would be he would kill the culture of the other ten thousand people at Apple. So they literally isolated him in this own like crazy house where people who were tough enough could could be in there. And if 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 they hadn't done that, there would be no Apple. Like yeah. you, you it for someone to say, we're going to remove the keyboard and we're going to put one button and we're not going to use the headphone jack that everyone else is using and we're not going to allow you to put songs on the device. All of these radical things, yeah. a, a group would not have, would would never ever, especially a socially conformist group, would never ever have come up with such innovations. It takes someone with real conviction and an un, unapologetic approach to achieve that. You've got to be have you've got to be pretty much on the spectrum, which I think yeah, most entrepreneurs degree. probably are in some respect. I definitely way. am. Yeah. Uh, would you say you are? All, all, I yeah. am. I'm hundred percent. Like <laughs> yeah. all my all my favourite all my Almost eccentric. entrepreneurs are, are so fucked up. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I prefer eccentric to fucked up, but you're not wrong. Um, I mean, we're getting tight on time, but just one more question as well because this, I, I really like this one because I, I mean I know the answer to this and I know you will as well. Um, but it's interesting that that people. Uh, are asking this sort of stuff and the question is does age matter in the world of entrepreneurship and is being young a a help or a hindrance um, what would be, you say to that um being being young is um super useful if you know why it's useful if you know what the advantages are and i talked one, about one of them there which is your un people don't expect a lot from you so you can become a product you, can, wow you yeah. can blow people away just by being um confident and and good good as a young person is seen as exceptional. I realise that by the time I get to 30, I'm going to need to be a different level to, to wow people. Yeah, true. And, and also my success is going to have to be significantly higher because walking in at 18 years old, just saying I'd started a business got me on the BBC Newsnight show. Yeah. Right? If, I, if I'm you 30 can't do old, it at 30. No, no one gives yeah. a crap. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, no, of and, course. And typically in life, in all aspects, your grades, your age, whatever it might be, none of these things matter really unless you let them get to you. So um, it's the same with grades. Like uh, getting a D doesn't matter um, unless you let the D get to you and then you spend your life walking around as a D, expecting mm -hmm. D, thinking you're a D and whatever. Same with age. If you think you're too old to start a business, like you probably are. If you think you're too young, you're probably, because it's a mindset that you adopt. And so- Well, I like, yeah, I mean, I think being young is a massive advantage, but also I love the fearlessness 100%. because you're just fearless as mm -hmm. a, I mean, you're ultra fearless as a, like a small child, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, go and jump off that cliff. What can happen? Mm -hmm. You know, as you get older, you do get more and more scared because you become more aware, I think, of risk. You've mm -hmm. got more to lose. Sure. And I think when you're young as well, you've just got time to recover. 100%. Whereas- when you're 15, you've got kids if and you all roll that. you the dice yeah, and you get a bad it, hand. It, it, it's harder because it doesn't just hurt you mm -hmm. and it hurts everyone around you. So, um, yeah, massive advantage to being young, which you're no longer around, but I am in my head. I've got mental age of a 12-year-old. It's like rolling a dice. If you roll the dice and get a bad hand when you're 18, you're already at the bottom. No, you, Your mortgage doesn't like fall through nothing. Nothing yeah. happens. So you can just keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. If you roll the dice... When you're 45 and you've got a mortgage and four kids and how and you know, the kids need school uniforms and all this stuff and you get a bad bad hand, the cost is yeah, tremendous. It's, it's yeah, it, potentially tremendous. So this is what my advice to young people is: like when you're young, just like roll it, roll and roll and roll and roll and roll because things things change, right? Well, I, absolutely. I mean, actually, just to just to finish on, so we had a, a lad called Alex Beaumont that's um, he came to work for us just in customer service. I'm living in Brighton and uh, applied for a job in customer service probably oh, two or three years ago. 
and uh, there was uh, there were a few phone call interviews. Um, and customer service is a great place to start at Grenade because you learn loads and you're yeah. touching every aspect of the business. And again, we see what people have got, what we've got to work with, mm-hmm. and and you know, and where we can sort of progress people um, and try and find out what they're really good at, what they really want to do. And he took a massive risk, as we did on him, but him more so. Uh, of, you know, moving up from uh, the South Coast, you know, not knowing anyone, just renting a house then with five or six of the people he would never met mm. to come and start at a job just because he believed in what we were doing at Grenade. And you'll probably have lots mm. of stories like this as well. And then last week, and he, he you know, he progressed through Grenade uh, like a rocket, uh, ended up um, doing sales. And then, you know, we've had an enormous opportunity in India uh, where we've got like 5,000 pharmacies over there. And we're like, we really want someone on the ground to... to that you know that can mm-hmm. that can look at this that can make it work because if we trust. don't send your best people for actually let's see if Alex wants to go so I said I said to her and ironically we'd all talked about it before we actually spoke to really? Alex and I didn't know he didn't know so I'm talking about going to India and he must be thinking I don't want to go to India <laughs> to me but bless him he went last week and I said look if it doesn't work you know hit the panic button just come home um, and you know we miss him in the UK and, we, and we've got lots of examples like this but yeah to that point of being fearless and young mm. I think actually what an amazing experience he's yeah. got a lovely apartment out in India and again yeah. he's seeing the world for free yeah. doing stuff for us it doesn't work out come home and then we'll yeah we'll heat he, he, out our Siberian office uh, as, a, as a punishment but I really like to try and find people that welcome opportunity mm-hmm. and, and whatever as well because yeah that's what life's all about exactly um steve absolute pleasure oh You've thank been you epic as always thanks mate really enjoyed appreciate that it. so uh brilliant thanks very much for your time thanks for having awesome. me again Good appreciate stuff. it mate. Cheers, thanks mate thanks brilliant. thank you thank you so wow i hope you enjoyed that guys i certainly did that was steve bartlett from social chain and we're pulling the pin on entrepreneurialism and if you want to hear more of the same then hit the subscribe button below 